gotta relax. I like it. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Human Music Podcast, the podcast where we share our favorite albums with each other, and you, our loyal listeners. I'm, I guess this week, I'm, I'm, I'm hair metal, Harry. <laughs> and I'm glam metal, Carlos. I'll do my best doctor. Hello. <laughs> um, yeah, we're going to, we finally, we, we finally have gotten here. Um, this week, I picked... Pyromania by Def Leppard, because we're going to take, um, uh, for my next selections, for the next three or four weeks, we're going to go on a little journey that I'm calling the death of hair metal. But in order to get to how hair metal died, we have to get, we have to start where it began. And so that was why I picked this album. Um, what did you think? Just like right off the cuff. like So I, I came around to certain elements of this album and uh so i didn't hate it right off the bat i'll say that from the first listen i was like i like this i get it i see the appeal um but i think i told you this earlier in the week my first like five listens kept being drowned out by the similarity of the songs so like after rock of ages i just kind of was zoning out with each listen Mm -hmm. and so it took a more like focused approach and so I, I, I kind of gathered myself. I said, okay, this can't be the kind of thing where I put it on in the car or where I have it on while I'm doing other things. So I sat down, I listened to it with headphones on. I put on some YouTube videos. For me, it really helps to get visuals going when I can't quite connect with just the sonics of something. So yeah. I, I watched clips of their documentaries. I watched like really like nerdy metal people on YouTube talk about how great this was. And that helped me get my head around it. And uh, so I, I ended up where I'm at with it now is probably similar to where you were at with like the ASAP Rocky album, where it's like I have the songs I really like and I have nothing that I hate, but the songs that don't really do it for me mm-hmm. after whatever, 20 listens, I still feel that way about them. But after 20 listens, some of these went from like meh to, okay, I really like this and I get it. Um, like Die Hard the Hunter, I didn't get it for the first several listens. Yeah. Because you just, this isn't a kind of band where lyrics jump out at you. No. You know? It's just vibes, baby. And so, like, when well, I, I actually think... paid attention to those lyrics, I was like, oh shit, there's something here. When we get into the, uh, why this album sounds the way it does, and it's, it's going to be interesting because we did, we've done two Iron Maiden albums on this show and we did a the billy joel album from the same year that this came out last uh last year it was a few weeks ago a couple weeks ago um so it's it's interesting to see like you know one thing that i think is 
been crazy about doing this where we're talking about albums from different, like from all over the place is seeing, you know how your brain has that bad habit of where it like, it'll compartmentalize things that happened at the same time. Yeah. So like for me, I really like Billy Joel, innocent man. Who doesn't like thriller? It is impossible for my brain to rationalize (laughs) that this was an album that was number two, basically held down by yeah. the fact that Thriller was one of the greatest albums ever. <laughs> and then the same thing with Innocent Man later in the year. Yeah. Where it's like Thriller held these two things down that are like in completely different sections Yeah, in my brain. So for me, I'll wait until we're a little further into discussing the our context around the album, because I'll let you do your preface first. But there is like a, there's a blind spot for me culturally for this kind of music in the eighties and we'll get, so like that gets into like why I had no exposure to hair metal and glam metal until a certain point later in my life. And why it's just like my first few listens with this were probably similar to your experience with boys to men where at Mm -hmm. first I was just like, I don't hate this, but I don't have anything to say. And then that evolved. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) That evolved. To where, like, again, like I kind of compare it to, like, your appreciation of ASAP Rocky. It's like, you're never going to be a diehard fan, but you came to a place with that album that was more appreciative of your experience with Boys to Men. But I kind of started at that place where I'm like, I don't have good or bad to say about this. Yeah. Uh, and then that it developed more over time. But there's a whole, there's a whole, like, cultural reason for that, which we'll get into here in a bit. Well, for for me, what 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 inspired me to do this? Um, because I know that I I, I basically lied. Um, although I think this will be different than the, um, Kendrick series because these will be different artists we'll be yeah. doing from from week to week. But it's like there's going to be a lot of similarities. Um, but we I was watching a YouTube video with Kaylee, and it was the number one hard rock heavy metal song year to year. So, like, what was the best, like, the number one charting heavy metal hard rock song from, like, starting, like, in 70-something going all the way to, I think it was, like, ended in, like, 2015. But you got that skid around the 80s. And it's, like, but like watching it go from year to year, you watch the evolution. And I was pointing out, I was, like, so that is where we had, that, that, that that's the birth of heavy metal. And then you go through it, and it's, like, Sabbath, it, like, dominates for a few years. Yeah. And then you have Maiden, and it's, like, okay, and then watch. We're going to get to hair metal here. And then it was, like, five in a row were hair metal. And then it was, like, a, I think it was Pearl Jam, and then it was an Alice in Chains. And I was, like, and that's where hair metal died. Yeah. And so that kind of what, like, inspired me to want to do a little multi-album arc. Because I have a complicated relationship with uh, hair metal, glam metal, pop metal, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Yeah. It, is something that I really like. I do love it, but it's almost because it's pure nostalgia for something I wasn't actually like around for, but it was like the music <laughs> that I like really fell in love with in like eighth grade. Right. Um, Pyromania, the out, al- this album is probably, I think the third or fourth CD I ever bought. Really? Yeah. Um, I loved Foolin'. Like that was like, that was like, that's, that was a, my that's a really good song. I yeah. In, I've got uh, some notes grade. on that one. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the opposite for me in the sense that, you know, when I say I had a blind spot for this specific type of metal, you know, my my musical development, and we've kind of touched on this before in the past, my, the first like eight or nine years of my life was listening to the Mex- like the Spanish language stuff that my parents listened to mm-hmm. in the house. 
uh, sprinkled in with the American stuff that got through. So that was the big acts. You know, my parents were big fans of Michael Jackson, Billy Joel, Phil Collins, Simon and yeah. Garfunkel. So those I got and I, I gained an appreciation for later in life because I remember listening to Piano Man in the living room. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, my parents weren't into this kind of music, so it never came <laughs> Shocking. through. It, yeah, but like, what's funny is I have uncles that were really into this kind of music. So like their kids, even though they were children of immigrants, like my uncle's kids listened to heavy metal because he was into heavy metal. Mm. Um, and then when I got to the age where I started making my own music taste by going out in the world, it was the contemporary music of the time. It was what was popular in the 90s because I became sort of like culturally cognizant in the late nineties. And that's, that's what stuck, you know, like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, uh, then like early two thousands, sort of like the butt rock that we've talked about before that, that all stuck. Cause I was aware of it at the time. Mm. So it left this big hole for glam and hair metal and pop metal that I didn't become aware of until a point in my life. Like I think high school is definitely where I started becoming more aware of these bands because of friends like you and Justin, whose favorite band is Motley Crue and, and some of those guys. But I, at the same time, became aware of the meme around them because yeah. of things like Family Guy and The Simpsons that would relentlessly make fun of these bands. So to me, my exposure to them came at the same time as my exposure to the meme about them. So yeah. it, it was always hard for me to separate that in my mind. It's like the joke of these bands being silly versus the fact that they were cool as shit when they came out. Yeah, and that's like the thing is because for for a long time, I mean, because we're talking like from basically early 80s through till really the like grunge. So like we're talking like from 80, like 81 to 91, 93, like even like, I mean, some of the some of the better quality hair metal or glam metal albums were still being released in the early 90s. Yeah. Um. So for a long time, it was cool. Like it was the in thing. And then, but when it fell off the face of the earth, it fell off hard. Right. Like this was like the, it became the opposite of cool. Like there was like, there was nobody like wanting to guns and roses was probably like the only exception. And I like, I want to argue when we do one of their albums that I don't think they're glam metal. Um, yeah, I don't think so either. What's, what's ironic about that is that I think, and this is just like my personal non metal guy take is that the reason it fell off so hard is because it was cannibalized by thrash and heavy metal who were like, we're going to distance ourselves from that Mm. silly commercial nonsense of the eighties. You know, if it had just been left alone and if, if like rockers of the nineties had treated it as like, Hey, that was our inspiration, but we've evolved since then. Then other genres wouldn't have come down on it so hard, but metal itself came down actively rejected it. Yes, like it was like the the next generation of rock stars said anything but that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, and you know, and then it had this this weird uh, this weird resurgence as a joke, like almost like it's because it's like it's a nostalgia act. Like these some of these bands have got like disbanded didn't do anything for years and got back together and tour they don't make new music right like you know no like poison isn't making new albums but they will still tour and sell out stadiums (laughs) because people want to go see it still so it has like there's an appeal there and then there's like a younger generation that has it as something that's more of a joke like i mean like the whole 
Europe. How many miles is Europe going to get out of the final countdown <laughs> being yeah. like, I mean, it's on a Geico commercial for like how long it takes to warm up a burrito. The- <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting thing culturally. I mean, super like you could write like 2000 words about this just in like an intellectual essay about how, because that's the thing, like listening to some of these now, I hear it and I think like, silly 80s sounding hair metal specifically i think that about the ones that have like the deeper meanings like Mm. billy's got a gun like that's some serious shit you're talking about and but they sing it with that like high-pitched 80s hair metal to where it's like it doesn't make sense with what they're talking about uh but at the time it was cool like these Mm. guys were the coolest motherfuckers in the world outside of michael jackson in 1983 when this came out and so like what they're doing in their music videos where they're like cheek to cheek leaning on each other singing in the big hair like that wasn't silly no matter what we think about it now it wasn't silly when it happened well it's like when we did the Queensryche episode you talked about watching the music videos and some of it like some of the visuals are like it's just a little like too just and it wasn't there were musical acts that weren't glam yeah that stole pieces of it yeah. Um, like, I mean, like Judas Priest and Metallica are two bands that you would nobody would ever accuse those of being hair metal or glam. Mm-hmm. But like during the peak of this, their stage shows, their music videos were very much in the same vein as yeah. Poison, Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, um, Def Leppard. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's super interesting. And and also for me personally, like as I as I worked to like break the preconceptions I had about this type of music, because I think, you know, we've said this before, but one of the goals of this show is to, for me to get you into certain things that you wouldn't have ever gotten into yourself and vice versa. And I think glam metal is like the big mantle for you. There's like, you're going to get me to appreciate that. And for me, you know, it may be more like Lil Wayne 50 cent type hip hop, which we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But one of the things that helped me wrap my head around it was the understanding that this is pop metal. And I'd never mm. thought about it that way before. Yeah. I'd heard hair metal, I'd heard glam metal. But if you think about it that way, this is a fusion of pop and metal, then you stop seeing, you know, I, I wrote in my notes that Joe Elliott's contemporaries are not, uh, you know, Dave Mustaine. They, it's Mick Jagger, it's Steven Tyler, it's pop stars. Yeah. You know, it's not metal stars. Yeah, and it's it's so weird. Aerosmith's another one of those weird outliers where they had like a second life because of yeah. the glam scene. Yeah. Whereas in the 70s, that would have been considered like that first wave of American, you know, quote unquote heavy metal mm-hmm. with like, you know, what was like, like Ted Nugent, like that era of the guitar virtuoso, yeah. big hair, but it was still kind of like a bluesy based hard rock. And then, and they, then they got a left to turn. Yeah, and then they, but then they, like that band got to like live again in the eighties doing completely different style, which is more of, and I think that's the key to it. Like when we like, let's get into the preface. Cause I'll, I'll do a little, we'll talk about hair metal. Yeah. And what glam is. I feel like, you know, we should start our stories where they begin. This is going to be great. Is any of this getting through to you? Um, so what is when people say hair metal, what they're, what they're usually referring to is it can be called like, I think the Wikipedia page is actually glam metal. Um, it's not called hair metal yeah. or, and, and then pop metal is kind of in my circles was used as like the derisive 
term yeah. for it. Yeah. Because like when you think in, in the rock community, when you say glam, you think stuff like David Bowie. Like David Bowie was glam rock. Yeah. Um, it was all about the show. Mm-hmm. And the show and the appearance, the presentation of it is more important than the music to a certain extent. But you have to have the good music. Like anything that's glam, you know, whatever you want to put after glam, if the music isn't good, it doesn't last. Right. Um, so when you, when you, but like, I think what you said earlier, like thinking about it, like pop music, calling it pop metal, what is it? It is something that started from the same place as we would call like traditional heavy metal, but has pop hooks. Yeah. Black Sabbath does not have pop hooks no. on any of their songs. Like, it, like ever. It's not Iron Maiden does not have pop hooks. Right. These songs have the way the songs are written, the way they are produced are very much like pop music, but instead of a synthesizer or whatever is being used to make them drive the music. You have a guitar player, mm-hmm. you have a drummer, you have an actual band. Yeah. Um, and that is, I think the key to it. Um, so when, like when I picked this one, I wanted to pick the first one I wanted to pick. I wanted to pick a good one. That was one of my keys. It was like, I had to pick a good album mm-hmm. because I'm also thinking that the next one, I should pick a shitty one and not even really like shitty, just one that I don't like. Like I kind of okay. want to challenge myself with like a poison <laughs> album because is, is, um, as weird as this is to say, when I think hair metal, the song that jumps into my brain is uh, Nothing But A Good Time by Poison. And I fucking hate Poison. <laughs> but like when that when that song comes on the radio, you can't not turn it up and right. then just kind of bop along to it because it, it's a pop song. It's got the, it's got the hook. Um, it, you know, the guitar is what it is. It's not, you know, and I think having done Queensryche, Iron Maiden. And Metallica, and then getting to this, the musicianship, there is a, like, we've, we, you do fall off on the musicianship. Yeah. It's not the same level. But the interesting thing about Def Leppard, Def Leppard started in the same scene that created Iron Maiden, that new wave of British heavy metal. Right. You had bands like Saxon, Iron Maiden, and Def Leppard all doing the same basic kind of style. It was very punk rock influenced, but it was more, there was more of a, lean towards the musicianship being important. The guitar was more important. You had the high pitch, you know, the vocals like Joe Elliott has that kind of Dr. Roxo kind of voice. Yeah. And when he gets into those higher registers, you really hear it. And it's that stereotypical, you know, when you think like, yeah, like, you know, like that, (laughs) like it's up there. Yeah. Um, but one of the thing that separates Def Leppard from the rest of those is whereas Iron Maiden became, Iron Maiden and then was imitated in what became like it, it's kind of funny when you go back to like the the, the true roots of heavy metal mm. you really have Black Sabbath <laughs> and then you have everybody trying to you know do, do that. that yeah but every band has that branch off of it that is a whole different subgenre right so like bands heard what Iron Maiden did and said I want to do that and then power metal was born <laughs> yeah bands heard what like diamond head and venom were doing and then you had that like that's where you kind of get like metallica has said diamond head which is a new wave british heavy metal band was their one of their chief influences so you have that thrash yeah shoot off there um venom basically created black metal mm. um what it became when the norwegians got a hold of it is a completely different thing but it's still like that's the roots of it yeah what def leppard did was they got together with acdc's longtime producer mutt lang and on their 1983 album Pyromania, changed their sound to a point where it 
was that first time that a heavy metal artist had had the big crossover radio hits. Mm-hmm. And because Mutt produced the album like you would a pop album. Um, and it's kind of like what you said in the beginning where the songs kind of like, you know, meld into each other. It's hard to really tell the difference between them. Yeah. It's like, like you don't know until you hear the next hook. Yeah. Cause these songs are so driven by the hooks. Yeah. From song to song. Um, Pyromania for me is one of my favorite albums. When I was a kid, I loved this album and it was fun for me to go back and listen to this because I really hadn't in a long time mm-hmm. and I have it on vinyl. I think I threw it on uh, like a few months ago and was just kind of like, like there's certain songs on here that like, like, okay, the way it starts with rock, you know, rock, rock till you drop. Yeah. I was just like, God, that's cheesy. Like it's so, <laughs> it's, it's so damn cheesy. But then it's followed by Photograph, which I honestly think Photograph might be one of the first songs that I knew all the words to. Really? That's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, before we move on to the rundown, I will say that the... I guess I had I had experienced this, but I hadn't verbalized it until you did. But the formulaic nature of the songs, while it lends itself to that, like, repetitive nature is what makes this different than heavy metal because it is literally the pop song making formula of being hook driven and that's the part of every song that stuck out to me the most like my favorite moments on this album are the hooks you know it's the uh is anybody out there from fooling it's like the like rock of ages hook it's the stage fright i mean that's probably one of the best hooks on here um it's just those are the moments from the album, even on the weaker songs, you know, like as I'm going through here, I think, uh, yeah, Coming Under Fire to me is like one of the weaker songs on the album. But yeah, would, is it any wonder agree. that hook is still stuck <laughs> in my mind? Like that's that's kind of like always going to be there. Like, the, is it any wonder hook? Even though I don't particularly care for that song, it's such a strong hook. So that really is what comes across to me the most from this album is like, this is pop production with a metal sound in and of itself that is super interesting well and i also love that the band kind of always had a chip on their shoulder because of being like this was the album that made this stuff popular yeah um like this was an infusion of what the la bands were doing and then when pyromania blew up and was like the number two album because nothing was beating thriller Mm -hmm. it's almost like you need an asterisk right (laughs) yeah like being in the top five when Thriller dominated the charts for years, it was one of those things where you're like, yeah, it was, it's really good. It's just, it wasn't Thriller. Yeah. yeah. Um, this, cre- this kind of helped propel that. And then you had, like any, any musical taste that takes off is going to have that first wave. Mm-hmm. And with, with hair metal, glam metal, pop metal, you have... Def Leppard kind of took it to that level where it was like, okay, this is, this is different. This isn't, this is something that they're going to play on the radio. And then you had Motley Crue and Poison and those bands blow up. And then by the time you got to the second wave is where you have guys like Skid Row, like bands like Skid Row come along as much as I dislike them. Bon Jovi, you you can't deny that there was, those were big time musical acts. Yeah. Uh, I, I just have like a personal question. I know why you picked this because it's the beginning of hair metal, but it's also the beginning for me though with it. Where does it 
where do you rank this and Hysteria? Because that's undeniably their bigger album. Well, here, here's here's the thing. I will always like Pyromania more because Pyromania has, like you mentioned, Stage Fright mm-hmm. and Die Hard the Hunter earlier. Those are new wave British heavy metal songs. Yeah. And they're almost like hiding amongst the, right, definitely. the, uh, the more poppy kind of side here. Hysteria is... For what it is, it's it's a better album, mm-hmm. but it's not for my personal taste a better album. And I think Pyromania is more important because they there's no way Hysteria would have been as big as it was if they hadn't started the scene with Pyromania. Yeah, and I I haven't listened to it cover to cover, but it's kind of like you know we just recently did Billy Joel, and it's so hard to talk about him uh, and not talk about piano man and it's hard Mm. to talk about Def Leppard and not talk about pour some sugar on me it's like they had a song they had a hit that was so big that it defined an entire era of music like you know you said that I forget which song you said uh is poison's uh good time or whatever yeah don't need nothing but a good yeah that's your like what you think of when you think glam metal I think most people think of pour some sugar on me well I think of strip clubs whenever I hear pour some sugar on me (laughs) It's so definitive, though, of the era, but even though this was the birth of that, so like, it's hard to, it's hard to put anything ahead of that in terms of influence. But I guess this did, this created the sound. Well, and I think that's also what it is. I think the songs are better on Pyromania. Mm-hmm. Um, with the, like Love Bites is their ballad from Hysteria. Yeah. Really good song. I love it. Uh, you know, I, I I'm not a big fan of Armageddon. Um, I I just. I, do, I just for some some something about that one has always just kind of not been my cup of tea. But okay. I think Hysteria is a fantastic song. And if anybody has been around me after the Bluebell Listeria thing, you've heard <laughs> me do that joke. Like it's almost to the point where it's annoying some people. I say it every time I go get a little cup of vanilla out of the fridge. It's like Listeria. Mm. All right, you ready um, to get into the rundown? Let's do it. There's a rundown you asked for. I may have expanded some areas that you weren't prepared for, Great. but do you want to look at it first? Do I need to? No. So I, I, I do think Rock Till You Drop is cheesy, but I think it might be my favorite on the album. <laughs> it's just like, how can you not love this song? Uh, the lo- it's not pretending to be anything. Yeah. The, the, I love the long intro, the keys at the beginning, which change to the heavy guitar. I love the opening line, hold on to your hat, hold on to your heart. It's just like, yeah, right, it, gets it doesn't make sense, but it sounds cool as hell. And then like the, uh, the anything goes chorus is like so, so perfect for like what the song is. Like he says, not trying to be anything else. It's just like, it's glam rock and it's the glammiest glam rock song on here, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of what it is. And I think the reason this music is easy to, it's easy to shit on it. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it is like, there's like, there is a level to it that is cheesy now by today's standards, but there's also like, I'm thinking about when I fell in love with this album, when I fell in love with this album, I was in the eighth grade. Yeah. You know, like I didn't, like I, I didn't want deep lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I don't, I, like I'm not, I'm not willing to process that at that age. And this is music that was made for teenagers in the eighties. Yeah, so, and I a lot of the a lot of the ways I listen to this album throughout the week because I'm working from home 
is just to say like, you know, to Google to play this album. So then it would play it loud throughout the house and I'd be doing whatever, like dishes or something. And I would just be like jamming and dancing to like rock, rock till you drop while I'm like vacuuming or whatever. That That's what this song, that's what this music is made for. It's just made to make you feel good. Right. Yeah, it's 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 very top 40 radio like and, and that's part of the problem is we're not going to sit here and be able to dissect any particular meaning from this. Like, like, what do you what do you think Joe Elliott means when he says, and I quote, here we go. Rock, rock till you drop. <laughs> Come on. Rock, rock. Never stop. <laughs> uh, you know, like that's like that's the core. But it's when you hear it, when you feel it. um, It's one of those things where it's just it's easy to bop your head along to. Mm-hmm. And I. I think, you know, like we've talked about like pop music has like I think Henry Rollins once said that like stuff like Justin Bieber, Britney Spears can't be offensive to him because bubblegum pop has always existed mm-hmm. and it is what it is. Yeah. And so I think on some level, glam metal, hair metal, especially from the 80s, was like it was just pop music for people who like guitars. Right. <laughs> I think about, uh, you know, one of my like most one of my most immediate thoughts when you say, you know, hair metal or glam metal to me is the scene in old school where, where Will Ferrell is working on his classic car, listening to Whitesnake. He's yeah. listening to Here I Go Again. <laughs> and, and it's like, that was the shit to him when he was in college in the 80s. And he's like supposed to be like this pathetic old dude still doing it in his driveway. But like, you know, that stuff never leaves you. If it made an impact on you when you were a kid, it never leaves you. No, and like um, I would compare it a lot to like what people call like I don't like I hate the term butt rock. Um, I I, I prefer to call it goon rock. I feel like it's more offensive, but at the same time, it's more of a compliment. Um, it's the same thing though. When you have music where it it it's not this like otherworldly, it's not shattering genres or definitions. But how hard is it to? constantly have album after album after album come out with stuff that can be played on the radio that's not easy like no. say like say what you want about nickelback it it is difficult to write that many songs that can be radio hits yeah successfully um, yeah yeah absolutely i think uh i think it's a super strong opener for what this album is and it drew oh, yeah, me absolutely. in right away. I mean, from the first listen, I was drawn in, even if like on those first five or so listens, I eventually tuned it out. But it grabbed me as an opener each time. Well, and it's also a good point to talk about the fact that Mutt Lang, the producer, gets a lot of the, I guess, quote unquote, the flack mm-hmm. for making Def Leppard sound so poppy. But you look at the other stuff that Mutt Lang produced, particularly ACDC, like, you know, like him working with ACDC. Yeah. Did did like when Mutt Lang got in the booth for ACDC, did they become a pop band? Right. No, absolutely not. So I think a lot of that is Def Leppard wasn't was built to do this. They were yeah. built to become this band. They weren't going to be the Iron Maiden out of that scene. They were going to be Def Leppard. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I do enjoy listening to any time you can catch an interview with uh bitter old man, Joe Elliott, like current Joe Elliott, yeah. because he totally has a chip on his shoulder about the, the fact that this isn't <laughs> the hard music. <laughs> like that guy, that guy wanted to be, he wanted to be Iron Maiden. He wanted to be Iron Maiden. Yeah. Like he wanted Def Leppard to be Iron Maiden and it didn't, it didn't happen. Well, too bad for him. So photograph. after rock, rock till you drop photograph. Your thoughts. 
this this is uh I don't I don't think I put this in my top three, but that's because I have two really strong top threes. But I did really like this album no this song. To me, this was like the windows down moment where if like this is open road like eighties rock. Like you just want to yeah. be on a back road with the windows down and your hair blowing. Like that's kind of like the the vibe I got from this. Um, you know, it's unrequited love, but it's not quite a ballad. It's still like heavy for what this album is, but it's all about that. Like, you know, I don't want a photograph. I want the real thing. Yeah. I want it's love. Like, it's not enough. Yeah. <laughs> very, very eighties pop songy. Like, it, and like, that's the, like the hook. Yeah. Um. And 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 with leaning leaning heavy on the cowbell. Yeah. In this song. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, like I like it like it, almost to the point where it's too much. Every time I every time I listen to photograph that do, more do, cowbell. Like, okay. Whew, boy. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think the what what I found really interesting is that the lyrics of this song, just lyrically, take everything else away from them, are like emotionally on the same level as a lot of like latin romance pop you know mm-hmm. like because there's even like a, a very famous latin uh pop artist called juanes and he has a song called fotografia and it's it's not about this quite but it's about like you know because the nostalgia of a photograph of a loved one elicits emotions you know like yeah. nickelback photograph it's like it, it, it's such a like it, it's a very overused and yet universal concept like not only unrequited love, but then having that like past affair or love that you remember through photographs. It's very universal. Uh, so I just thought that was an interesting connection. Well, I think for two, this is the first time on this album that Joe Elliott's voice is truly important. And yeah. I know it's the second track, so maybe it's like saying this is the first time. But like Rock Rock Till You Drop, anybody could do that song. Yeah. Like anybody, because it's so it's so straightforward, and the guitars are really good. And I, I've I've always been kind of like iffy on Def Leppard's percussion in general, like the rhythm section in general. Um, but on the ones where it's good, it really does stand out. I think Photograph, with the, with the exception of the leaning on the cowbell, has a decent rhythm line throughout it. Joe Elliott nails the high notes in this song to the point and like that's kind of what really makes it for me like this one you know it like his 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 overall range in the song and Mm. then the guitar solo is i mean pretty fucking good like like nothing nothing phil does on this album is gonna melt your face it's 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 but it's also not that kind of album like i almost have to when i like when i'm in the mood for glam Mm -hmm. it's nothing nothing else will scratch that itch right and but I have to be in the mood for it. Like if I'm in the mood for death metal, this is not going to no. come close yeah. to scratching the itch because there's no blast beats. There's no, like the guitar work is what it is. You know, I, speaking of the rhythm section, I, I think there are points in this album where the drum work is really strong mm-hmm. and, you know, not to be insensitive here, but this was an album where Rick Allen had both arms And so, like, I don't know if that falls off later in their catalog, like, where it's not as strong. I think it's really awesome that they kept him in the band and that he figured out a way to to play. But maybe there's a fall off there. Well, Rick Allen's also been what he's very important to the songwriting process. Got it. Um, So it was kind of like you you couldn't really have Def Leppard without Rick Allen. And he figured out, like, I've seen some of the kits 
mm-hmm. after he lost his arm that they like built for him so that he could like make up for having the one arm. He, he, he's a fascinating story you know himself. Like I would highly recommend anybody right now just like Google Rick Allen and read about yeah. <laughs> him still being the drummer in this band after losing an arm. But in 1983, <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> he did have two yeah, arms. Two arms. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's insensitive because how else do you put it? Yeah, like I don't know. I don't know how to say. It. Like he had, he had two arms. He he currently does not. Um, <laughs> the, you know, it, I think Steve Clark in, on this album too gets is is kind of it, it, this this Def Leppard's not one of those bands where the lineup really matters mm-hmm. a whole hell of a lot. You know, it's not like when we look at uh, Maiden or Metallica, like you know who which like Metallica post Cliff Burton's death or you know something like that. It's not something where the lineup really matters that much yeah i do prefer phil collins guitar compared to some of like late like on this album i should say i prefer phil let me take that back i prefer phil collins guitar on this album preferred i prefer (laughs) jesus i don't even know what i'm trying i i I have a thought i can get it out (laughs) i i prefer phil collins guitar on pyromania compared to a lot of the guitar work later in the catalog got it of def leppard and it really stands out on songs like the third track you know when we get into stage fright and when we get there we'll talk about die hard the hunter but stage fright is one of those ones where it is a straight that that's that's one of their new new wave British heavy metal songs. So th- this was one of my favorites on the, on the whole album. And I was one, cause there's not a lot of, uh, genius explanation for, for these songs. You know, the bigger mm-hmm. hits have some, uh, some annotations and some quotes from the documentary, but this is a deep cut. Like this was never released as a single. So there's nothing ingenious about it, but reading the lyrics, it's not immediately clear to me. Like did, Joe Elliott suffer from stage fright? Like, is that what he's trying to say here? Or is it just like a catchy title? I've, uh, okay. I have, I have a weird thought about this. Mm-hmm. I think it's about erectile dysfunction. Oh, that's very interesting. I could be wrong. I, it could be about like, just not wanting to go in front of a crowd. And I know that like towards the, before when, when they started to tour, oh, welcome to my show. It's just you and me, baby. We got yeah. the whole damn night to go. I you come think- on like a lady dressed to kill. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. Nice. I like that. <laughs> I'm going to go with that explanation. <laughs> um, I mean, like when I read it, that's all I can get from it. Stage fright all night. Won't let you go. All the, you know, it, uh, I, that, that's just how I, I, how I interpret it. Um, that really changes but- the meaning of the line, a headline act around the back is what I'm thinking of. <laughs> Sometimes you got to put a finger back there. to. (laughs) Holy shit. This changed the whole album for me. Yeah. Sex. (laughs) This is the sex part of the sex, drugs and rock and roll. That's right. Um, So stage. What do you think about the way it's set up, though? Like, I like the way stage fright starts and it sounds like it's, you know, like they're like. That's why I was like, that's why I was fully bought into like the surface level because it opens with the cheering. And I love the fact that like throughout they there's the sound of the audience in the back. So like this was a studio track, but it sounds live and the title is stage fright and the chord is stage fright all night. You won't let go. Like I, I was just like, okay, yeah, this one's about performing live, but 
I don't know anymore. Oh, but it, but it, it, it could be. It, it could be because I know that for when they first started to kind of like break into, like they toured with bands that did tours of America mm-hmm. and the English fans that loved their new way of British heavy metal did not like anybody like they like the Def Leppard were called sellouts by their home, <laughs> like their hometown fans yeah. way before they ever came close to selling out. There, it's it's funny because like there this is the era of the UK invasion of rock and roll in the US where mm-hmm. like name a big metal band at the time and they were probably British. But specifically Def Leppard to me has such an American association like they were so popular with like a huge segment of the American like consumer base. Like they were every like bro and every redneck and every regular guy's like favorite band in 1983. So like to me, this is an American band. Yeah. I know they're, yeah, it's the same. It, it, I know they're very, not. And it's like, different and it's than, weird. go ahead. It, like, it's really weird to think about that. Cause like when I picture Joe Elliott, it's him wearing the cutoff, you know, the sleeveless shirt with the English flag on it. Right. But it's still like, you're right. Like, it's such an American sound because it's that, it, it, and it's probably because all the L.A. bands ended up sounding a lot like this. Right. It's so different than like an Iron Maiden where like, to me, that's like always going to be British or a Black Sabbath yeah. where it's like, that's so overtly British. Um, there's not a lot of them like this. There's not a lot of Def Leppards out there where I cannot not picture them as American. Well, speaking of, because the next song, uh, Too Late for Love. <laughs> okay, this was... I have, I have a... I just want to ask you straight up. How do you... Do you think of this one as a ballad? Uh, Yeah, for sure. Hmm. You don't? I, I may, Maybe it's because, like, I just, like, where the... What the power ballad became towards the end mm-hmm. of, like, that being a thing in you know rock music this one just doesn't like it, it i don't think of it as a ballad I, I mean it's it's uh noticeably slower and less heavy than the rest of the album to like i i guess it and it is weird that it's sandwiched between stage fright and die hard the hunter well in terms of those being much heavier yeah yeah i think it kind of like to kind of drive that point home but like I, like when i think about it like like to me when i think power ballad I think Motley Crue's home. Yeah. I think, you know, every rose has its thorn. Um, but what's the awful Bon Jovi one? I'm blanking on the um, I'm blanking on it, too. I think the difference between those bands and Def Leppard is like Def Leppard's not going to do anything remotely acoustic. So even their ballads are going to feature like heavy, distorted guitar and hard, yeah. hard drums. So, whereas you know, like a Motley Crue could dip their toes into acoustic ballads. So it's like, it's, there is no denying that like every rose is a ballad, but this yeah. is kind of like, it's still glam metal at the end of the day. I really like, I do really like this song. I love the opening verse. I love the second verse. Like it, it all actually like in general, even though I don't care for this song sonically, it's it's one of the better songwriting efforts. I really love the second verse. You know, London boys are gazing, girls go hand in hand with a pocket full of innocence. Their entrance is grand. Uh, it's just really good songwriting. Yeah, this was this was a, this was also like an early highlight for me. Like this one is aged kind of poorly for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Too late was one of like 
when I was younger, one of my favorite songs on this album. And now it's gotten to the point where it's just not, um, probably because I have, as I've gotten older and I had this for longer, Die Hard the Hunter has become like my favorite fucking song on this album. I think if we listened to their whole discography, Die Hard the Hunter would still be my favorite Def Leppard song. Uh, it's so surprisingly deep of a concept for this band, for this yeah. sound. It's basically for a, this album or yeah. everything, nothing else even. It's basically a rock opera. Uh, you know, the whole song is about a kid coming back from war and shooting up his hometown because he's got PTSD. Uh, yeah, I mean, the verse, uh, you've got no enemy, no front line. The only battle's in the back of your mind. You don't know how to change from bad to good. You brought the war to your neighborhood. Like, that was <laughs> lost on me for, like, days. Because, you know, this song would come on and I thought it was just like, yeah, Die Hard the Hunter, cool, heavy metal. And, like, yeah. it was the first time where, for some reason or another, I was tuned in as this song began and I heard that opening line you know, welcome home, soldier boy. And I was like, wait a second. Have I been missing out on something cool? So I like paid better attention. And I was like, I have. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's such a cool song. I like the way it starts with the helicopters too. Yeah. You know, the whoosh, 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 whoosh. And then the, that, um, he, it, just is also another one where Joe Elliott has to be up there when it comes to vocalists from this subgenre of this era. Like it, cause he just, his, his vocals sound they're, like they're very much his. Like I can tell when it's Joe Elliott singing yeah. versus some of the other guys. And I think a lot of like one thing that really hurt the second wave of glam metal was everybody kind of started to sound the same. Right. Like everybody was doing like either trying to do uh, Vince Neil or like kind of, like, you know, I, I had this thought the other day we were listening to, I think we were listening to first wave on XM, which is the, uh, new wave kind of or like it's it's the like early alt rock mm-hmm. station. Um, how many guys in the eighties? Like when you think of like a new wave band voice, I I used to kind of always think that they were trying to do David Bowie, and then it dawned on me, no, they're trying to do uh, Joy Division. Like that's right. what everybody was going for. Every, that's why everybody kind of sounds the same. Everybody was trying to do that Ian was the Curtis. model. Yeah, and they all like, but it's like after a while, everybody's voice blends together where everybody just sounds like, you know, they're trying to do that. Yeah. Same thing with glam metal. It got to a point where everybody want, everybody sang high. Nobody like whether they, whether they had the range or not. Everyone everybody harmonized sang, you know, with the, the other guys in the band. Yeah, at the, the, the harmonies, especially on the, some of the later, pa- later power ballads like will make your skin crawl. Like towards, <laughs> I'm talking like when you get into like 89, 91, yeah, uh, I think, I mean, I still think, where were we? We were on uh, Dire of the Hunter. Probably, maybe like conceptually my favorite, even though like as just like a good time song, Rock Rock Till You Drop is my favorite. Dire of the Hunter is conceptually the best song on this album. Um, but I think- This was the one that I had like kind of forgotten about too, because this, is, this isn't one that gets played a lot. Even no, on like never. nostalgia stations and things like that. Like you don't, you don't hear this song ever. And I think it's the coolest song on here too. Like production, like not like, you know, songwriting wise, the fact that it has, it has like a narrative to it. Yeah. It is, it has a little bit deeper meaning. It's not surface level. And then it's also just cool sounding. Um, the, the bridge 
it towards the end is great. I love the way they do the chorus. You know the you know the die you kind yeah. you know like that's just that's super cool, and it's the only thing on this album that sounds like that. Oh yeah, definitely. If any, if nothing else, it stands out to me as being like sonically unique. You know, as we think, as I think about it, and as we discuss this, um, I just got done saying that Def Leppard to me is like I have such a hard time picturing them being British because it's such an American sound. This song, that the fact that they would do this, is a uniquely British thing, because they like society over there across the pond is mm-hmm. not burdened with the like troop fetishizing that we have over here. And, you know, in the eighties, especially it would not have been, it would have been like out of character for an American rock band to do something like this, like so overtly anti-troop, uh, you know, today in 2020, totally different, different story. You know, we're in the age of wokeness. Everybody is just trying to be woke. And that's, this is one of those things, but I think the British have always been, more willing to criticize their government especially when it comes to war they have a much longer history of like you know sending their young men to die in war than we do and so like i think it is a uniquely british thing to be able to make a song like this whereas maybe an american band would have caught flack for doing something like this well, they also the British also have a a way of doing it in a way where it, it's hidden in the song. Right. Like, uh, what is that? Um, you know, we're going to rock down to Electric Avenue. <laughs> it's about riots. Yeah, and it's it's about like like a horrible thing in history. It's like like you read the you print out that song and read it, and you're like, Jesus, holy fuck. shit, um, yeah. that's dark as shit. But it's, we're going to rock down to Electric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whereas um, in America, when you have like uh counterculture like, rebellious music it's so in your face it's yeah, like it has NWA. To be like i'm thinking like i'm trying to think of like an american contemporary to that and the the one that jumps out is metallica's one mm-hmm. about the soldier who's based like you know has no like he can't move is completely almost completely catatonic yeah and just wants to die um but it's dark, like that's way darker than this this has that upbeat kind of well, it, sound to it. And I'm thinking like, well, the reason I say that this is like a uniquely British thing to be able to make this like anti-war protest song about PTSD and returning soldiers is because like in this era, and I don't just mean 80s, I mean like 70s and 80s, uh, mm. the, it was still like, you know, what, very taboo. Well, what comes to mind for me, and it's not actually about war, but you know, Neil Young's Southern Man, how that inspired... Oh, yeah the creation of Sweet Home Alabama because, you know, Leonard Skinner was like, you fuck, you tell me I'm racist. I'll show you who's racist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that, that I love that. Yeah, <laughs> that was the prevailing culture in America. So that's why I say, like, it takes a British band to come over here to write a song about PTSD. Well, and I think we've always had that. We've all, like like that was just like, um, what was it? Uh, um. O- Oki from Muskogee is a reaction to the protest. Yeah. Like movement at the time. Like, we don't burn our car- draft cards down on Main Street. It's like, yep. oh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, so that's the end of side one. And then we flip over and we get uh, foolin'. Foolin'. Uh, okay. If there is a, if there was a guarantee, like you think, what? okay, what, uh, here's a question. What's the most pop hook on this album? Is anybody out there? You think is so? Anybody you think that- out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's so poppy. 
it, it's a standout moment for me on the album. Uh, this yeah. this song and in particular that hook. Uh, and and does anybody wonder? Yeah. Funny piece of trivia: an episode of the show Degrassi was named after this song. So a little tie-in to our recent Drake episode. Degrassi, I didn't know this, apparently named all their episodes after 80s songs. I uh, never watched Degrassi. No, I didn't either. But uh, oh, yeah. Genius told but me that. that. I wonder if we just missed that. Was that, Were we too old for that? Because I, I think, think that we was happening when we were in college, right? It started when we were like freshmen or sophomores in high school, but it was like, it was, we were just old enough to realize that it was girly. And so it mm. was like, even more, you, we were at that age. I actually think if we had been in college, we may have given it a chance. But we were at that age where it's so important. It, it wasn't cool. It, like it couldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So important to be not be seen as uncool. Because I, I remember going back and watching the OC, and like like whenever that happened, yeah. and being like, I used to watch that. Like I used to <laughs> wait for that to come on. Um, but back to Foolin. Foolin is how we start off side two and i think you're right like when what now that you, now hearing you say it and explain it yeah that's the poppiest hook and so. without a doubt and it is it's such a short song when you really think about it yeah none of these are particularly long no but that, that's also part of what makes the like the fact that so many of these were these like like for like the, I, you still hear photograph fool and rock of ages mm-hmm. i haven't heard rock rock i rock rock till you drop they play a lot on Hair Nation, the, the the XM channel. Oh yeah, um, but like even like regular radio, I still think you hear Photograph, Foolin', and Rock of Ages a lot. Yeah, possibly. I don't. I mean, I don't listen to it, but I can see those I'm getting a lot of play. The ones at the end, <clears throat> the yeah. ones I've never heard on here are the ones where I'm like, yeah, those were deep. You know, like Stage Fright and Die Hard. Um, well, it's interesting that you said. Okay, so it's like with, with side one. You have Rock Rock Till You Drop, which I think I agree with you. Great opener. Photograph, I think, is an all-timer for, for me. That's also just personal nostalgia. Stage Fright's a cool song. Too Late for Love, if that is, like, that is the ballad. And then Die Hard the Hunter is just an awesome song. But then in side two, I think you said, like, this is where, like, after Rock of Ages, you start to kind of lose it. Mm-hmm. And so you have Foolin' and you have Rock of Ages. And I think those are very similar sounding songs. Yeah. And then you have three... Uh, you know, like ones that don't necessarily stand out. I think if Billy's got a gun sounded different, it would stand out more, but yeah. it's, so it's like, it's kind of like that drop at the end of the album. Cause when I really think about it, I wear out side a on my vinyl copy of this. And I don't know how often I flip it. Like, I think I put another record on usually. That's interesting. So, because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say rock of ages is the biggest hit off this album. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Not at the time. At the time, it was photographed. But in terms of like their endearing catalog, it's Pour Some Sugar On Me and then Rock of Ages. Like it's their Mm -hmm. second most well-known song and it's on side two. So like to me, I would almost like listen to that and then move on. Like I would still flip it so that I can get Rock of Ages before I maybe moved on to the next thing. It's never been my favorite. Really? Um, just personally. Yeah. I, uh, I, I really, I love the beginning. I love the intro. Like, you know, like even like the, the, <laughs> which then the, you know, for me, that was an offspring thing, yeah. even though they were doing it because Def Leppard did it. Same. Um, but then like the intro, you know, the, where you have the Neil Young quote. Is that a Neil which, Young quote? Yeah. That's also, uh, wasn't that in a oh. Kurt Cobain suicide note? Which one? Which it's is funny. Better to burn out than fade away. Yeah, that's yeah funny. from my yeah it's from a Neil Young song. Which, yeah, I'm reading the uh, annotation right now. 
It was in... Uh, so, another reason this was actually with completely unintentional, the perfect way to start this is because we're going to start with... <laughs> Pyromania in that Neil Young quote. And in a lot of ways, we're going to end with that Neil Young quote in a few weeks. That's funny, man. I ne- like not. I mean, it's it's dark, but it's also like I never even picked that up. And I didn't rely on genius for this one because I was like, I have such a good grasp of this song. I know what it's about. I know the offspring reference. I don't need genius. In the very yeah. first line, it's like, oh, shit, I could have really used genius for this. Uh I love this song. To me, it's like number two sonically after Rock Rock Till You Drop. Uh, I think also like what's what drove my particular taste going into this is that I very much put myself in the mindset of like, this is going to be glam metal. Like I'm going, mm-hmm. I want to like it for that. I don't want to search for anything deeper. Like I yeah. want to feel like I'm front row watching these guys wave their hair around. And so I'm going to look for the songs that drive that vibe the hardest. And it was Rock, Rock, Till You Drop and Rock of Ages, which are the cheesiest songs on here. Yeah. And I, it also could be like for me, Rock of Ages might be the one that I've heard the most mm-hmm. off this album to the point where it's like I don't need to listen to it when I listen, when I decide that I'm going to put Pyromania on. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, t- it is cheesy. It, without a doubt, it's cheesy. This is like where they got the name for that uh, the hair metal musical that they did. Right. The the stage show that then became that horrid movie. Yeah. Um, Rock of Ages. It, to me, it's not like it is. I actually didn't even connect that either. Like that's like I know I know that's in the song because that's my favorite part of this song. You know the it's better to burn out than fade, and then the guitar comes in. Yeah. But it's so weird because like I know that. I know that quote mostly from Cobain's uh, suicide note. Yeah. And I know that it's a Neil Young quote. Because and, of the note. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's also like, I mean, this is off topic. <laughs> how how are you and Neil Young? Uh, Very surface level. I okay. appreciate yeah, him can, a lot. Like, that's not to, that's not one that you have to convince me on. That's just one no, that I don't be, have the exposure to. I think it'll be a lot like your like Towns Van Zandt. Um, yeah. I think like, when, like cheater, we'll definitely basically. do after the gold rush. Uh, after the gold rush is one of those my like my absolute favorite fucking albums. Yeah, um, th- like that's one of those ones where it'll make you smile, but on the right day it can make you cry too. Nice. Um, so Rock of Ages ends, and then I think this is where we kind of get into like this just a little bit of because uh, coming funk. under fire is next. I've never been crazy about this. Like I don't even really like no- nothing stands out about coming under fire. I would say the hook. Is it any wonder that stands out to me? Uh, as I was reading through the lyrics, writing my notes, I was like, "Yeah, you know that this song in particular is very forgettable to me." But that hook really, like, they nailed it with that hook. Like that goes back to the production. Even on the ones yeah. that are skip tracks for me, they have great hooks. Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is a good hook. It's just like like the I, I think this one for me is missing the guitar <laughs> yeah. and it's missing the vocal performance more than anything else. Like when I put on Def Leppard, I really kind of want Joe Elliott to be screaming. Like that's like like uh, not even screaming, but like because like in Love Bites the the ballad from Hysteria, the best part of that song is his vocal range. Yeah, and the the key changes and the way he goes with the key changes. Um, so then we get to action, not words. I believe. Action Not Words is the worst song on this album. <laughs> I am also not a fan of any song like this or about this. And there are a, like, there's probably, I could probably burn a, like, 
seven CD range of hair metal songs that are basically the same song. Yeah. The come on girl, just break some off for me. Cause it's <laughs> like, like there's like so many bands did that song. Is that and I, what I, this I, song is? So yeah, maybe I need to revisit it. I thought it was like, uh, you know, the media sucks, man. I'm sick and tired of the damn TV. I'm going to make my own movie. I want to star in a late night show. Is it about making a porn? I think all these songs, like I, I I think you're right. Like that's like the uh, motif he's going with. Like Cause like the Bogart, but like, like I'll be your Bogart, you be Monroe. Yeah. Like it's about pussy. Like it's like, like okay, I it's get the it. same thing with like when extreme does more than words. Action, not and words. It, I get it. It's about yeah. fucking. Okay. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of them are like, you, 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 like let's, let's be real. Most songs yeah. are about fucking. A- another reason I probably didn't get this is because it was also my least favorite on the album, just sonically. Uh, yeah. and then, yeah, like at first when I real, when I did a quick read through of the lyrics, I was like, yeah, man, the media, the media sucks. I'm gonna make my own show. I thought it was like some Wayne's world shit, but <laughs> it's actually some porno shit. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's like, I don't want to watch TV with you. I'd like, like <laughs> what's the fuck. It's like, no, we didn't come over here to Netflix and chill. <laughs> Yikes. Um, so then we end and I think Billy's got a gun. I think this is actually kind of a gem. It's a strong song. I think it's hidden at the end, and I think it's it suffers by where like where it's placed. Yeah. So my, I had to. Uh, I did one of the things I do, and maybe you do sometimes when we're getting to the end of the week, and I feel way more familiar with a side A of an album than the side B. I did mm-hmm. a backwards listen, so it allowed me to listen to Billy's Got a Gun first, and. Then I realized, like, this is actually a really strong song. It's got deeper lyrics than some of the other ones. It's more in line with uh, Die Hard the Hunter. It's sort of this cautionary tale about this guy, Billy, who fell in with the wrong crowd in uh, New York City and ended up like this menace to society with a gun. You know, this mugger mm-hmm. on the subway with the gun. Um, but the the hilarious thing to me, you know, I think I said this earlier, it's that it's it's done... With that super cringy 80s vocal style where it's like, yeah. what you're singing about doesn't compute with how you're singing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I just, I, I think that's like, part, that that's kind of the mental hurdle mm-hmm. with this music still. Like as far as, I don't, I don't know how I got into to hair metal really. It's so weird because it was, was like it me dad? and my, no, it was really like me and Taylor just kind of like got into it and. Yeah, because your dad's way more thrash. Like, Gordon is way more yeah, into Gordon's the Yeah, Gordon's way though. more thrash. And then, like, you know, Big Tommy is a 70s, <laughs> like, 70s rock guy. And my mom was way more the, like, maybe a little bit there. Yeah. But, like, I, I don't know. Because, like, like, when I think about stuff like that, like my mom liked it. It's, like, stuff like Ario Speedwagon. Right. And, like, it's way more, it's way more, it's even more poppy than this. This was just kind of like an accident that <laughs> I, I think it's. I think if you get into rock music at an early enough of an age, you do have to do, I don't want to say you do the homework, but you go through the journey with it. Right. So like, like the first time you hear ACDC, um, I maintain the first time you hear ACDC, it should be seven. It should be seventies ACDC. Yeah. It shouldn't be eighties ACDC. And then you should go on that journey. Like where does that, where does that lead you? Or like the first, like, 
the first time I put on Black Sabbath's Paranoid, which I think was maybe the fourth or fifth CD I bought, it changed like everything. Yeah. It was like, like there was like, there was like, like I need, I want more of this. Like, how do I find more of this? Where is it? I want stuff that sounds like this, but it's different. And like, like I think when you're into rock music, are we kind of like doing the, the closers right now? Yeah. Why don't we make it formal? Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's make it, (laughs) let's do it for real. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. Always be closing. Always be closing. So this, I think this was a good place to start the hair metal journey because for, for me personally, this is where my love of this genre came from. And I think this is, the more I read about Pyromania, mm-hmm. the more it seems like this was the first glam metal album to blow up. So like if we hadn't had Pyromania, like it's so weird because like I kind of picked this thinking, I'm going to pick a good one. Like, I'm going to pick a good hair metal album. I'm not going to pick a bad one. I'm not going to pick one that's even questionable. I'm going to pick a good one, whether it's like a full bore glam metal album or not. And then, like, when I'm doing my research, come to find out this is like the watershed moment of when this became. (laughs) So, like, I started from the right place with this. Yeah. So, for me, this was a great place to start because if you asked me, like, of these, like, you know, quote, like, of the most iconic hair metal bands, if you were to name, like, Poison, uh, White Snake, Motley Crue, you know, even 80s Aerosmith, like, who do you have mm-hmm. the least familiarity with? It would have been Def Leppard. Like, outside of Pour Some Sugar On Me and knowing Rock of Ages existed, I couldn't have named a Def Leppard's uh, song. So this is a great place to start. And then also, like, I, I didn't know you didn't know this, but as I was researching it, I was like, oh, okay, no wonder he picked this. It's the beginning of the genre. Uh, so I thought it was yeah, a good I, place to start. I, I had this one. This was neck and neck with Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil. Yeah. And I just, I've never been that big of a Motley Crue guy. Mm-hmm. Um, There's like, the, okay, I'll say this about, like, well, since we're just still this big picture talking about glam metal. The Motley Crue that I like, I really, really like. Yeah. But... Those guys, all of them, are such unlikable people. Yeah, yeah. Like, like the fact that Vince Neil killed a guy and like got away with it because he was famous, and then like will say in interviews like, "Yeah, I would be in jail if I wasn't famous." Yeah, it's like ah, like I mean, <laughs> uh, like and, uh, to me, it's crazy that I spent a good like whenever I would interact with other metal fans, music, rock fans, whatever. I would spend so much energy defending people like Axl Rose while people, nobody hates Tommy Lee. And it's like, Tommy yeah. Lee's a piece of shit. Like, he like made her. revenge porn. He was like the original revenge <laughs> oh, porn yeah. guy. That's illegal now. And it was like, it was like for the longest time, it was like, it's just a joke. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark Mars is one of the weirdest dudes on the planet. Like he is like that. Like if it turned out that he was an alien, wouldn't <laughs> like, you could tell me, I'd be like, you know what? There's there, you probably got something there. And then Nikki Six, he's not even like a piece of shit. He's just incredibly unlikable. He's just such a douche. He's like the prototype yeah. of douchebags. Uh, yeah. And, and <laughs> <laughs> so, so like I, I basically was like, I like Def Leppard. I'm a big Joe Elliott fan. I love what, like I've said like earlier, I love watching bitter Joe Elliott. Like it's just like it's so it it's cathartic for me to watch somebody <laughs> that famous with that level of like achieving what what what. what 
that level of achievement that clearly wasn't their dreams. Right. Because if it was their <laughs> dreams, he wouldn't be as bitter as he is. Or if anything, that just shows the power of negative criticism over achievement. Like, yeah. if there's enough people telling you you suck, it doesn't matter how much money and fame you have. And I'm very much that person. So like, <laughs> so like maybe whenever I see Joe Elliott complaining about the way the media covered like something they did in like 79 and you're like, dude, you made, you, <laughs> you made a billion you made dollars. Like, you, you made like millions of dollars and you made music. They still play on the radio. You still get royalty checks from Rock of Ages. Yeah. They named when they made the musical, like it was inevitable. They were going to make a musical about eighties hair metal. When they made that musical, they named it after one of your songs and you'll still sit there and complain about something. The guy from thin Lizzy told you after this album came out. Yeah. Um, in uh, all in all, I'd say this was a fun experience for me. Um, going from like, Oh, okay, let's try this to like, I really like Die Hard, The Hunter, and I really jammed Rock Rock to drop in Rock of Ages. And I now feel more confident in my ability to say, I didn't care for some of the songs on this album. And I can tell you why. And I can intellectualize exactly why I didn't care for them. But I don't write this genre off altogether because it's a meme. Now, here's something I kind of want to do for the next one. I want to pick one and this is this is this is this is horrible because I'm really leaning towards the I'm re- I'm leaning towards picking Poison or Bon Jovi and as a challenge to myself and you <laughs> because I I have heard that Bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet is considered <laughs> Yeah, see I know, right? Like right. Like but like uh, I have heard people say that slippery when wet is one of those like it is a it is on the list for the guy who does that the the who keeps the book of the thousand and one albums to listen to before you die yeah slippery when wet has weathered the storm and is still on the list and I like almost just like it's like I can't. I don't like Bon Jovi. Like, yeah. like, and I, I, I think it's because that that might have to do more with my age. Mm. Um, because like I think by the time you when, when you and I were like you know discovering music and coming up, the fucking what is it? Uh, another you know, um, living on a prayer yeah. was such a already like a meme thing. And I think it's partially, at least for me, I don't have the same distaste for Bon Jovi as you do, but I do have this association with him as being kind of a joke because he's one of the guys that stuck around making new music like well into the 2000s like he i remember that oh, song yeah. that my came mom, out my mom had that out it's my life that that song <laughs> and like the going the go back home like you can never go back home song that he oh, did that was bon jovi you remember Holy that shit. like that was like yeah, 2010 who you can't go yes he just kept oh, man. he kept trying and he kept plugging away at it so I have this association with him of being kind of like this washed up loser, but he was so big in the eighties. Like he was yeah. the coolest guy in the world in the purple 80s. pants. Yeah. Purple, purple spandex pants. And, and I'll admit, I'll admit, I don't like, I, I, I there's very little Bon Jovi I like, but when runaway comes on from their first album, mm-hmm. that song slaps. Yeah. Like, and it's the keyboards. It's the worst part. It's not even the guitar. It's not even <laughs> Richie. It's the, like, fuck yeah. yeah. Um, Okay, yeah, I think we're going to have to do Slippery okay. Wet. <laughs> God damn, what a name. Um, but I, I, I want to tell you what we're going to do after that, too. Okay. So, 
we're going to do that because that's still considered that would be considered like right like in the middle of or like towards the end of the first wave. So hair metal is a thing by the time Bon Jovi has started doing this. Okay. And then we're going to do Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction because it is one of the greatest albums of all time. And I do want to ask you, how are you on Guns N' Roses? Like, because I know that that's like a thing where like I I've met a lot of people who have a visceral reaction with how much they hate Guns N' Roses. No, that's not me. I have a music guy, like, entry-level appreciation for Guns N' Roses, especially Slash. Uh, and the ones that are, like, well-known, like, uh, you know, what's the one that they do in Step Brothers in the car? Uh, oh, Sweet Child of Mine? Yeah. I mean, that's just such a good song. You can't, you can't not love that song. That is a that is one of my top five favorite bands. Yeah, and I am a big Axl Rose guy, and I love Slash. Yeah, but like when we we're gonna do Appetite because we were gonna do Appetite whether I did this little thing whatever like the death of hair metal or whatever yeah. whether I did a project or not we were gonna do Appetite, um, and then after that we're gonna do Pearl Jam's Ten, and then we're gonna do In Utero. So um, gonna, and I think okay, I'm excited. Yeah, because we're gonna show because I I have a I have a theory of that. For me, like Guns N' Roses isn't hair metal. Like, it's just not. To me, that's hard rock, yeah. but it gets lumped in as being like a second wave glam metal band. Yeah. And I just don't agree with that. So we're going to listen to it. And we're going to decide. And then we're going to listen to Pearl Jam say that this is dead. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> and it's never coming dead. back. And then we're going to do what I consider to be Nirvana's masterpiece in utero. That's, I'm very excited for that. All right. So that's it. Yeah. So. Thanks for listening. I mean, can you plug the socials? Because I have got like nothing <laughs> <Yeah>. left. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, excited to kick off this journey through rock and roll history with you guys and with Harry. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Human Music Pod, on Twitter at Human underscore Music underscore Pod. And I recently updated our website, so all the episode links are current if you go to humanmusicpod.com. Sweet. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye. <laughs>